Why are you doing 1130? Want to welcome you guys? Yeah, one person's happy. All right, yeah. <laughs> Say hey to all of those watching online and in the video cafe. Uh, before I get into my message, I do want to say a word of thanks to Johnny and to our students for leading us this morning. You know, a part of our vision here at City Church is to raise up the next generation of speakers, of leaders, of worship leaders uh, among the young people. And so, like, I went back in the green room to speak to our teenagers, and, and like for me, the vision of raising up the next generation, it's not about like in the future, oh yeah, one day you guys, no, I told them, like, y'all take us somewhere today, and if you take us somewhere, we'll follow you. And so I'm excited about the next generation, and I am grateful that they, they led us today. And, uh, and I do wanna say that when you give here, not only do lives change here, but you help us accomplish our vision of raising up the next generation. And so my prayer is that as you give this weekend, that God would bless you, that he would surprise you with his blessing because your giving is making a difference. Now today we're gonna look at an incident in Jesus' life and ministry that I believe compels us to wrestle with one of the great questions people all over the world have. This is like one of those universal questions. I've traveled all over the world, been on every like inhabited continent except for down under, and I found that people all across the world struggle with this same question or some version of it. Uh, and that is, if you believe in God, and, and I do want to acknowledge, I assume that some of you don't believe in God yet, and that's okay, you're welcome here. We invite you to explore our faith. But if you do believe in God, I bet you wrestle with this question. Why does God let bad things happen? Why does a good God, a loving God, a powerful God let good things happen to bad people? Why does God let people suffer? And I think behind the question is a subtle thought. I know you wouldn't think this thought, but I, I've thought it, which is, you know, if I was God, I, I could run things better. I, I would just end all this suffering. That's what I would do if I was God. Come on. <laughs> and for some of you, your inability to wrestle with this question, to, to, to like land on an answer to this question, it is what is sabotaging your faith. And right now, your faith journey may be spiraling out of control. It may be because of suffering you've seen in the world. It may be because of suffering you've seen in someone that you love. It may be because of your own suffering. And if you could be honest, you would say, I just can't reconcile a good God with the bad things I see. And so if you could be honest, brutally honest, you would say, I'm disappointed with God. Now, in a recent national poll, uh, uh, surveyors surveyed Americans and asked them the question, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask God? And the number one response was this, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why is there pain and suffering? And let's acknowledge that people do suffer. They suffer from illnesses, from violence, uh, from accidents. People suffer from uh, war, from mass shootings, from ethnic cleansing. People suffer from mental and emotional issues, you know, mental illness, depression, uh, debilitating anxieties and fears. And then people suffer from relational brokenness and people suffer from financial crises and from hunger and from homelessness and poverty. And, and when you look around and you do see the amount of suffering that occurs in our world, it does make you wonder, why God? What's your plan? <laughs> why do you allow this suffering? And 
I want to I turn this general question into a very specific question for you. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Has there been a time in your life where you would say, God did not do what you expected him to do, and so God let you down? How are you going to respond when that happens? So years ago, a, a young a college student you know, went off to school and he got involved in a Christian organization on his campus called InterVarsity Fellowship. And so this organization helps college students believe and thrive in Jesus. And so as he got involved in this faith journey with this organization, he was inspired and he, he became uh, convicted that God wanted him to become a missionary. And so he began to prepare himself to go to a foreign land to serve the poor and to represent Jesus to them and help them believe and thrive in Jesus too. And he looked for a, a young woman who would risk going on the mission field and who would share this vision and this passion with him. And he found a young woman who was inspired by the same things he was. And so they got engaged and everything was going well. But then his aunt became severely ill. She contracted a form of cancer, and it was an aggressive form of cancer. But he believed in the power of prayer. He believed God still moves among us today. He believed that, that God, you know, that great things could happen when people ask for great things in Jesus' name. He believed in miracles, and so he prayed diligently for his aunt. But sadly, his aunt didn't make it. She passed away. She died from her cancer. And when she died, it did something in his soul. He became disappointed with God. And his disappointment led to disbelief. He disavowed his belief in God and he walked away from Jesus. And all of the plans that he had for his life, he ended his engagement. The man I'm speaking of is CNN founder, media mogul, and Atlanta Braves owner, Ted Turner. And Ted Turner became an agnostic. And he became very anti-religious. He did not like religion of any kind. But it all began when he became disappointed with God. So, you know, if you believe in God, why should we trust a God that allows people to experience so many disappointments? I mean, it's one thing to trust a God who, who is with us when everything's going great and our plans are all working out and our life is going great and our finances are great and our kids are great. But what happens when uh, God doesn't do what we expect? What happens when he lets us down? And, and now I want to speak specifically to believers. How will we respond when God disappoints us? How will we respond when a spouse walks out on us? How will we respond when we lose a job and our finances tank? How will we respond when somebody hurts us or maybe even abuses us? And we wonder, God, where were you when I was being abused? Why didn't you protect me? How will we respond when a loved one receives a life-threatening diagnosis? How will we respond when we face injustice or racism? How will we respond when God does not do what we expect? I believe emotional questions, and these are important questions, emotional questions like these is why it's so important for us to know why we believe what we believe. And so in this series, we've been exploring why we believe what we believe about Jesus. And we've taken a journey together exploring the evidence for the Christian faith. 
Because God never asks us to believe anything without giving us a reason to believe. And so the historic Christian faith is based on someone and something. The historic Christian faith is based on the person of Jesus and it's based upon the miracles that people saw him do. We believe what we believe about Jesus because of the credible evidence of miraculous signs that eyewitnesses saw him do, or what I'm calling in this series, bystanders. Because seeing is believing. And we've been looking at the bystander, uh, bystander's account uh, uh, by a man named John. John was one of the core disciples of Jesus, one of the 12. So he traveled with Jesus for three years. And he saw Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And all of these miracles led John to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, for John, seeing is believing. And as he got older, he, he decided, you know, I need to write down the account of all of these miracles that I saw so that others will believe in the one I believe in too. And so we put this account together. We call it the Gospel of John in church tradition, which really just means the good news according to John. And so we've talked about that uh, over the last several weeks. But what I've not told you was John's circumstances when he wrote this account. You see, because John was a believer in Jesus and because he was a leader of Jesus' movement called the church, he faced suffering and persecution throughout his life especially under the hands of the Roman emperors. During the reign of Emperor Nero, numerous Christian leaders were persecuted and some were executed. Uh, John saw his good friend Peter executed by Nero. He also heard that uh, the Apostle Paul, one of the great leaders of the church, executed by Nero. And, so, and then John himself ended up in prison on an island because of his faith. And I tell you all that to say, John experienced suffering in his life, and he witnessed suffering in his life. And yet, he still believed in Jesus, and he believed in God. Why is that? It's because of what he saw. What he saw convinced him that even in the face of suffering, I believe there is a God, and I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And so, uh, we're going to look today at a sixth miraculous sign that John recorded that he wanted us to know about that would help us believe too. So let me set up the scene. So Jesus did what he did often throughout his uh, ministry. He would travel down to the southern part of Israel where Jerusalem was located, which was the center of the Jewish faith. And if you remember, Jesus butted heads with religious leaders often when he was down there. And he did once again. They butted heads and it became pretty intense. So he decided to go to the other side of the Jordan River uh, uh, from Jerusalem and to minister to people there and to teach them and, and to, to, to you know, begin his movement there. Okay, And so he was about a half day's walk away or a full day's walk away from Jerusalem. And there an opportunity surfaced that gave Jesus the chance to go all in. Now, if you're not familiar with that phrase, all in, it's a, uh, it's a poker term. And so I have something to confess to you. One of the things that your pastor likes to do when he's free is to play Texas Hold'em poker with his buddies. That, oh, someone clap for that, all right. Because when my wife goes out of town, that's when the boys will play. And I, man, we, we come over, we just play poker for five, six hours. I just love it. 
Anyway, so all in. All in is a poker term that, 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 uh, that identifies when you take all your chips and you push them in. It's when you lay everything you have on the line. And normally when you go all in, if somebody you know, takes your bet, well, you both flip your cards over. You show your hand. You show your strength. And through this miracle, Jesus goes all in. You ready to see what happened? All right, this is, yeah, I bet you never thought you would talk about poker in church on Sunday morning. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. All right, <laughs> All right this is John chapter 11, verse one. <clears throat> now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and, and Bethany was pretty close to Jerusalem. Uh, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Okay, so you, you have the, the sense that there's a man named Lazarus. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And it, it, it's clear from both this passage and other passages, these are like some of Jesus' closest friends. I mean, these were people he knew well, he loved them. We believe that this was like a, a base for them when they were in the southern part of Israel, that they would stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and uh, that Jesus loved them, you know? And, and we learn that Lazarus uh, is sick, but Jesus says, so he says two things. He says, first of all, his sickness will not end in death. Now, some of you that know what's getting ready to happen go, well, wait a minute, Really? Notice Jesus didn't say Lazarus won't die. He just said it won't end in death. That'll be important. Second thing Jesus said sort of messes with us because Jesus said it is for God's glory. And let's be clear, what's the it? It's a sickness, right? Wait a minute, how can sickness be for God's glory? That just doesn't even sound right. And, and can we not miss the obvious I, uh, the obvious here, and that, it, that is that Jesus believed bad things happen to good people. I mean, something bad was happening to his good friend, and that didn't shake his, you know, his trust in his father. Okay, so why would Jesus say this is for God's glory? So what, what Jesus tells us here and in other places during his ministry is that sometimes, not all the time, and, and really not even most of the time, but sometimes suffering can serve a purpose. We know that some of Jesus' suffering served a purpose, and what he says here is his friend Lazarus' sickness would ultimately serve a purpose. But then John says something to us, tells us, and shows us something that really makes Jesus look pretty bad. You ready? This is verse five. So, uh, uh, I'm sorry, this is verse, uh, yeah, verse five, sorry. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. Okay, now wait a minute. Why does John want us to know that Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Why does he make sure that we know that? Because what Jesus does makes us think he doesn't love them. I mean, do you follow the logic here? His good friend Lazarus is sick. The sisters sent a, a word to him that he was sick, and so they wanted Jesus, what, come back and heal their brother. And Jesus was only a half day away, 
But instead of immediately going to Lazarus' side, he stays two more days where he was. And that would make you think he didn't really love Lazarus, wouldn't it? And let me tell you why I think uh, Jesus sort of manufactures this, this miracle setting and why he doesn't rush to his side. Because sometimes, let's admit it, sometimes when we're suffering, it feels like uh, God's not with us. It feels like he's not rushing to our side. It feels like he's just a way off somewhere. And I think in this moment, in the story, uh, we're, we're getting an understanding that sometimes that is going to happen. And when it feels like he doesn't love us, it sets us up to feel disappointed. And I think through what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's, he's setting up, he's manufacturing a miracle a miracle that was not just for Lazarus. It was a miracle that's for you and for you, for you and for me. And it's a miracle that helps us wrestle with how we feel when we feel disappointed with God. All right, so let's, let's get back. Jesus waited, so he waited, and then he made a startling prediction. This is verse 11. After Jesus had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, well, duh, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. You have to read between the lines. <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Okay, wait a minute. Two and a half days ago, Jesus said that Lazarus wouldn't die, right? Well, I thought he, he just, now he says he did die. What's going on? And then he says something that almost sounds harsh. He says, you know what? I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there to see him suffer. And he says, and I'm glad for your sake, for your sake, and for your sake. And it's like Jesus in this moment, he's not glad about Lazarus' suffering. In fact, you're gonna see in a moment, it, he was not happy about it. But he was glad for our sake because of what was getting ready to happen. And because what was getting ready to happen, he meant to send a message of hope to every husband who has ever lost his wife and buried her to every child who has ever buried a parent, and even worse, every parent who has ever buried a child, every friend who has ever buried a friend. Through what he's getting ready to do, he sends us a message of hope in the face of suffering. So Jesus goes down to Bethany, and Lazarus' sister Martha comes and she tells Jesus how she feels about all of this. And, and can I just say, before we look at the verse, Martha's one of my favorite people in all of the Christian scriptures because she's one of those people that tells you exactly what she's thinking and she says stuff before she thinks about it. And I love them kind of people. They're, they're my kind of people. All right. <laughs> this is Martha, uh, chapter 11, verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 
Martha here admits to Jesus. What does she admit? I'm disappointed in you. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I sent you the message. But instead of coming, you let my, my brother die. And you know what I like about Martha's words? Um, she gives us permission. She gives all of us permission to express our disappointment with God too. And as some of you may not realize how important this is, those of you who grew up with a certain religious heritage, like I grew up in a religious heritage where I was taught it was bad to, to say that you were disappointed with God. That's a bad thing. Naughty. You should never say you're disappointed with God. And so I was made to feel bad about ever admitting I felt disappointed with God. And, uh, and what, I, what I love about what Martha says is one, it makes it into the scriptures, which is pretty cool. He could have edited that part out. <laughs> but two, it gives us permission that when we feel disappointed with God, we can say so. And, and just so you understand, if you want to go back and look at the Psalms and the Jewish scriptures, about a quarter of them is King David telling God how disappointed he was in him. And this is, just, this is what I want to say. When you go through seasons of suffering, it's okay to say to God, God, I'm disappointed. He can take it. Okay, uh, and then notice though that Martha ends, she expresses her, expresses her disappointment, but then she ends with this little word of hope. You know, I'm disappointed with you, Jesus, but now I know, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. <laughs> and notice uh, how Jesus res responds to her. This is verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Uh, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now here, we, we get an insight into what Martha believed. She already believed in the, the theology of the resurrection of the dead. Because, you know, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, well, I know he's going to rise again in the last day. And then Jesus, it's like he wants to push her beyond belief in a doctrine to a belief in a person. He pushes her beyond a belief, uh, a belief in an event in history, which is the resurrection in that day, to a belief in the person who can make that event happen. He wants her to believe in who he is. And, and I love her response. You can tell her, her, she's trying to process everything Jesus just said, because that was a whole bunch of theology that came her way. And she said, you know what? I, yes, yes, Lord, I, whatever you just said, I believe it. And I don't think it's because she totally understood everything. In fact, you get the sense of hesitancy in her. She didn't understand everything, but I think she, she understood this. I don't have to understand everything to believe in something. And what I do believe is, you're the son of God. And if you say that's what's going to happen, I believe it. And so that's good news. Because if, if you're wrestling with feeling like you have to understand everything about everything to believe in anything, you don't have to understand everything about everything to believe in something. You can believe in the son of God. Okay. So Jesus eventually now arrives to Martha's house where many people had gathered to mourn and he notices now the other sister Mary weeping. This is uh, verse 33. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest scripture in all of the Bible, Jesus wept. In this extraordinarily tender moment, we get a, a little glimpse into the humanity of Jesus. You know, we, always talk, we often talk about Jesus being the Son of God, but this is where we get the clear understanding. He was also a person just like me and you. He had feelings just like me and you. And, and I hope you get this. He weeps even though he knows what he's getting ready to do. He knows this, this sickness did, will not end in death, but he weeps anyway. And I think that Jesus manufactures this miracle and he comes alongside this weeping set of sisters and all of the mourners who gather because he wants us to know, he wants us to know his posture when we suffer. And that is he wants us to know that when we suffer, suffer he weeps with us. He feels our pain. He is with us and he cares. And I want us to understand he weeps with us even though he knows what he's getting ready to do for us one day. He still weeps with us and suffers with us. But the story doesn't end here. I haven't gotten to the miracle yet. You ready for the miracle? Uh, verse 38. Jesus once more deep, uh, yeah, deeply moved came to the tomb. So now he went from the house to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, here again is Martha. Man, I love Martha. The sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. His body has deteriorated. This is gross. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him because seeing is believing. It was a miracle. And it was the most amazing miracle that Jesus did while he was on the earth. With this miracle, Jesus went all in. He showed us the full strength of his hand. And this is what he's saying to us. Even if you die, I have the power to raise you back to life. And that is what I promise to those who believe in me. I will raise you back to life one day. And the people who saw the miracle, they believed. Because seeing is believing. And I think this miraculous sign, it, it allows us to wrestle with, with two great questions that we have. The first one is the one that we feel, which is why does God allow suffering? And so I want to address that question first, and then I want to come to a second question, okay? So why does God allow suffering? So I want to respond to that by, by following the story of Lazarus, because you know his story doesn't end here. You understand that, okay, he gets sick, uh, he dies, he's buried, his body is rotting, Jesus raises him back to life, 
But you understand that eventually Lazarus got sick from something or had an accident and died. And then his sisters, Mary and Martha, they also died. Bad things still happen to good people. God never promised that bad things wouldn't happen to good people. And so I think, I, I believe that's the wrong way to ask the question. If you, if you would let me, I think the better way to ask the question instead of why, it's how. How will we face the inevitable suffering that will come our way in life? It's just gonna happen. And I think in this miracle, we, we get two, uh, like two understandings about facing human suffering. First of all, that is when we suffer, Jesus suffers with us, he weeps with us, he is with us, and he does care. Even when you feel like he's not with you, he's with you. And so it, it becomes a, a, an act of faith to believe that. But secondly, through the resurrection, he gives us a vision of hope. Through the resurrection of Lazarus, this is what he says to us. One day, one day, I'm going to give you a resurrected body. And in that body, you will feel no pain and you will face no suffering. And let your vision of that body and that day give you hope as you face suffering in this body, in this day. But I think Jesus' uh, miracle also uh, urges us to consider what really is the most important question we would have, to, that we would have to wrestle with. The most important question, I believe, is not why does God allow suffering? I think that's an important question. I think it's an emotional question. It's a right question. But I, I think the most significant question is, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? You see, John wrote this account, the account of this miracle, not so that we would know what Jesus said and did. See, he had an agenda. And his agenda wasn't even that we would think that those events actually happened. John's agenda is that we would personally, that you would personally put your faith in who Jesus is. And through this account, John is telling us, look, Jesus is more than a profound moral teacher. He's more than a great social reformer. He's more than a great religious leader. He's more than a prophet. He's more than even a powerful miracle worker. He's saying to us, Jesus is the son of God. And so I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm not. I'm not asking you to get your act together. I hope you get your act together. I hope I can get my act together. I think we can help you get your act together. But that's not what I'm asking. Through this evidence, through this account, I'm asking you to believe in who Jesus is. Not for no reason, but for the reason of this miracle. I'm asking you to believe that Jesus loves you. I'm asking you to believe that Jesus can forgive your sins. I'm asking you to believe that Jesus can give you resurrected life where there will be no pain and suffering. I'm asking you to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Will you believe in him today? Yeah. Let's pray together. And, and if you would say, you know, Pastor, I've been wrestling with this, and I'm, I'm still not sure I understand everything about everything, but I don't have to understand everything to believe in something. You've convinced me with this Lazarus one. I think Jesus is the son of God. Then I encourage you, put your faith in him and just, just whisper that, say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the son of God. 
I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to give me resurrected life. But I also want to pray for those of you who are suffering. And so if you're going through a season of suffering and the storm is pretty fierce and you feel like he's not with you, I, I just want to encourage you as an act of faith to believe that Jesus suffers with you. He feels your pain and he weeps with you as you weep. And so Lord, my prayer is that for those who are suffering, suffering, you would draw near to them through your spirit, that you would comfort them, that they would have this sense of your compassion and your empathy for them, that you weep with them as they weep and give them comfort and give them strength and hope to face their suffering because of what we know will happen in that day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.